Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really thought about what it might be like to be a dog. And so I can honestly say that I've never wanted to be a dog until I learned about Bella. Bella is a Maltese living in New York City who is regularly fed filet mignon and decked out in diamond jewelry. Diamond jewelry doesn't do a whole lot for me, but having a lot of steak sounds kind of (laughs) nice. But the real kicker is that when Bella's owner dies, she is set to inherit a million dollars. Or how about the young man who received an old wooden box from his great-great-grandfather? And upon going through some of the antique clothing in that old wooden box that had been there for more than 100 years, discovered amongst that clothing the oldest pair of unworn Levi's known to exist, valued it perhaps $100,000, kind of a surprising inheritance. Or how about the two brothers uh, who were homeless and forced to live in a cave in Hungary? And it was while they were living in this cave that they received word that their long-estranged grandmother had died. And that the two of them were two of their, her three uh, closest descendants, her most direct descendants. And that meant that they were the ones set to inherit her estate, which they discovered to be valued at more than five and a half billion dollars. That's life-changing money. <laughs> or how about an inheritance with some stipulations? Uh, There was a New York City real estate mogul who set aside $10 million for each of his daughters. But there were several stipulations on them receiving this inheritance. First of all, they weren't going to get any of the money until they were 35. Second, they had to have attended an accredited university. They had to have married a respectable guy who would legally swear not to touch any of her money. They had to be employed and not have any children outside of their marriage. I did some looking, but I never found out how many of the daughters may or may not have ended up receiving their inheritance. This morning, we're going to learn about another inheritance, an inheritance that God promised and then provided to the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites. An inheritance that also came with some stipulations that needed to be followed, at least if the Israelites were going to be able to fully realize and enjoy all that God was offering to them. We're in the midst of a series from the Old Testament book of Joshua. This is the book that tells us how the Israelites entered and then claimed the land of Canaan. It's a book that shows us how God was faithful to keeping one of the great promises that he had made to Abraham, and that is that his descendants would be able to live in a great homeland. 
It's also a book that God has designed to still speak to us today. And so this morning, we are going to see how this inheritance, the land of Canaan, was divided up and distributed. And we're going to discover that it did not go as well as it could have. And we're going to learn about the great inheritance that God offers to us. And we're going to see how the Israelites' example can help us better realize and enjoy the inheritance that we have from God. If you have a Bible, open up to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you or app on your phone, grab one of the red ones, or I'd invite you to grab one of the red ones, and we'll be on page 349 in the red Bible. And we're covering a bunch of territory today, so hang on. Uh, Joshua 13 is where we're going to start. So with the conquest now completed, the land is ready to be divided up and distributed. Over the last several weeks, we have learned all about the conquest of Canaan. God enabled Joshua and the Israelites to miraculously defeat an alliance of five armies to the south and then prevail in a final showdown against an even more formidable alliance in the north. Now, it's not that there wasn't still work to do. There was. There were still some Canaanites living in the land. There were still towns and cities that remained in Canaanite hands. But the Canaanites' greatest strongholds, their most powerful kings, and their biggest armies had been defeated. And so what remained was not going to require the entire Israelite army to win. Individual tribes should be able to handle it especially since God had promised to help them succeed if they would just continue to trust and follow him. And so with the conquest phase of God's plan to break the Canaanite power now complete, it is time for the Israelites to receive their inheritance, this land that God had promised to Abraham so many, many years earlier. Uh, Joshua 13, we're going to start in verse 1. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains, all the regions of the Philistines and the Geshurites, from the Shehor River on the east of Egypt to the territory of Ekron on the north. All of it counted as Canaanite, though held by the five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The territory of the Avites on the south. All the land of the Canaanites from Ara of the Sidonians as far as Aphek and the borders of the Amorites. The area of Byblos and, Le and Lebanon to the east from Baal Gad, Gad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. As for the inhabitants of the mountainous region from Lebanon to Mishfaroth, Maim, that is, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So God comes to Joshua and reminds him that there is still work to be done so that they can receive and enjoy their inheritance, this new homeland. It needs to be divided and it needs to be distributed and the remaining Canaanites still need to be driven away. And it's important to remember that, that this Israelite invasion is judgment from God 
against the Canaanites for decades of sin and evil. Well, the next seven chapters, and I'm not going to read all of them, but the next seven chapters describe how this land was divided and what each portion looks like. Now, ultimately, this land is divided into 12 parts, and that is because Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had 12 sons, each of whom became the head of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. However, one tribe, Levi, did not receive an allotment of land. We're going to talk about why that is next week. But even so, there still need to be 12 allotments. And that is because the tribe of Joseph is treated as if it were two tribes. It's because Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And each of them is considered a tribe, although sometimes they're referred to in the Bible as half-tribes. Now, if you're familiar, if you just remember back in our series, you might remember that three of the 12 tribes have actually already received their allotment of land even before they entered into the land of Canaan. This land was conquered and given to Manasseh, to Reuben, and to Gad with the understanding that these tribes would still cross over the Jordan with the rest of the tribes in order to conquer the remaining land in Canaan, which they did. The rest of chapter 13 describes the three allotments that those three tribes originally received. If you jump forward to chapter 14, that begins the description of how how Canaan itself was divided up between the remaining nine and a half tribes. And it's nine and a half because Manasseh, which got land on the other side of the Jordan, received only half of their allotment on the other side of the Jordan. But let's look back at the text. Uh, So now chapter 14, verse 1. Now these are the areas that the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Their Their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the Jordan, but had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. For Joseph's descendants had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. The Levites received no share of the land, but only towns to live in with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. And so the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Chapters 15 to 17 describe the land that gets allotted to Judah and to Ephraim, as well as an additional amount of land that was given to Manasseh. These tribes were the largest, and so they ended up receiving the largest allotments of land. But it's when we get to chapter 18, I told you we were moving fast, it's when we get to chapter 18 that we see described the determination and distribution of the final seven allotments. Each tribe that's still waiting for land is going to help in making this happen. So turn to chapter 18 and verse 1. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh, and they set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. 
So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. You are to divide the land into seven parts. Judah is to remain in its territory on the south, the tribes of Joseph in their territory on the north. After you have written descriptions of the seven parts of the land, bring them here to me, and I will cast lots for you in the presence of the Lord our God. Levites, however, do not get a portion among you, because the priestly service of the Lord is their inheritance." And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it to them. Well, as the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua instructed them, go and make a survey of the land and write a description of it. Then return to me, and I will cast lots for you here at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. And so the men left and went throughout the land. They wrote its description on a scroll, town by town, in seven parts, and returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, and there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. So basically, if I can sum it up, each of the seven tribes that hasn't received land yet sends three representatives to Joshua. And Joshua sends out these 21 representatives to travel the land and to, to, to survey it, and from their survey data, create seven allotments. These allotments will then be distributed amongst the seven remaining tribes by lot, by casting lots. Now, the text doesn't tell us exactly how this casting of lots took place in this instance. But one way it may very well have been done was uh, to have, they may have taken two containers, each, con- each container containing seven stones or seven pieces of wood. On one set of stones or pieces of wood, they would have written a number, perhaps relating to the allotments. And then on the other set, they would have written the names of the remaining seven tribes. And so the idea is that you take these two containers and you shake them until one stone or one piece of wood comes out of each. And whatever number of allotment goes to that particular tribe name. And they would have continued this process until all the land was distributed. Now, we might look at this and think that Joshua is simply trying to distribute this land randomly. But what he is really trying to do is to leave the outcome of this distribution in God's hand. He's trusting God. He's trusting that if God wants things to work out a certain way, that God is going to make his will known through the casting of these lots. And so the rest of the text, chapters 18 and 19, describe for us who receives what part or which of these final seven allotments. It's a whole lot of very difficult names to try to say. But the point is that Israel has now received its promised inheritance from God. 
The land has now been distributed. And so this represents another very significant milestone in the life of Israel. And it is definitely reason for celebration. Except that almost immediately, the text gives us some hints that the Israelites, or at least some of the Israelites, are not going to get to fully realize their God-delivered inheritance. Not everybody is going to get to enjoy what God has given to them. Let me show you. Say, for instance, the tribe of Ephraim. We learn that they, are, that they do not dislodge the Canaanites from Gezer. The Manassites, they're not able to occupy all the towns in their allotment. And the people of Dan, it's not even clear that they ever really controlled their inheritance. Ultimately, they are forced to settle elsewhere and live outside of the land that was allotted to them. So the question is, what are we supposed to make of this? Did God fail to keep his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and to Joshua and to the Israelites? This land was supposed to be their great inheritance. And so had God failed to come through for them? Did God leave them with less than what he had promised to them? Had God shortchanged them on their inheritance? Or does the fault lie somewhere else? It's a really important question. And it's one that's answered in the text. In fact, it's easiest to see by comparing how Caleb, from the tribe of Judah, responded to his inheritance, comparing that to how the tribes of Joseph responded to receiving theirs. By looking at these two comparisons, we can see what's actually happening here. Let me start with Caleb's response. And and just to be clear, this is the same Caleb who 40 years earlier was one of the original spies that Moses had sent into the land shortly after they left Egypt. Um, If you want to follow along, uh, I'm now back in chapter 14, starting at verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. Remember, both Caleb and Joshua were two of, the, two of those original spies. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought, <clears throat> and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive For 45 years since the time that he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. 
And so here I am today, 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Now jump to chapter 15 because we get a little bit more about this story. Chapter 15, verse 13. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, uh, a portion in Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Sheshai, Ahimam, and Talmai, the sons of Anak, um, who were told elsewhere were giants. From there, he marched against the people living in Debir, uh, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it, so Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. So Caleb fully realizes his inheritance from God because when he receives it, he continues to act in faith. He trusted that God was going to be with him, or he trusted that God was with him, and then acted accordingly. I mean, what does Caleb say here? He says, with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. So with that in mind, now listen to what the tribes of Joseph say about their inheritance. Jump to chapter 17 if you want to follow the text. This is verse 14. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We're a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Joshua, why didn't you give us more? All right, Joshua has a response. If you're so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, then go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaites. People of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live in the plain have chariots fitted with, fitted with iron, both those in Beth, Shan, and its settlements, and those in the valley of Jezreel. In other words, why is this so hard? We thought this was going to be easier. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You will not have only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its furthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. In other words, Joshua tells them that God is going to give them what they need, but they still have to go do it. See, God didn't promise them that this land, that this life in this new land was going to be easy. He just promised them that he would give them what they needed in order to live in it successfully and well. 
that is the way that this text can speak to us today. See, like the Israelites, we have been offered a great inheritance from God. And not just a future inheritance, but also one that begins here and now. But we will realize and enjoy it now only to the extent that we are willing to continue living by faith. See, God does not promise to give us an easy life, but a full life if we are willing to live by faith. If we are willing to follow Jesus and to make his methods and values and priorities our own. Let me describe for you parts of this inheritance. God's inheritance for the Israelites was a chance to get a part of a great land. But God's inheritance for us is a chance to get to be a part of a great people, the people of God, a people who are specially chosen, a people who are rescued and redeemed, a people who are filled with his spirit a people who are purified from everything that has defiled us, a people who are forgiven of all their sins. All of this is part of the rich inheritance that God offers to us. None of it earned, all of it given. To put it more succinctly, the inheritance offered to us is the opportunity to become a co-heir with Christ in the kingdom of God. We are offered this inheritance because God has made us heirs of his kingdom. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. As heirs of God, as co-heirs of Christ, we're given eternal life and a future home with God. Jesus told his followers in John 14, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And while the full extent of our inheritance is not going to be realized until Jesus comes back again, there are parts of it that we can realize now. For example, I'm talking about abundant life. Jesus came to bring us abundant life that begins now. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Our inheritance includes the power and the presence of God in us, the Holy Spirit. 
We receive this part of our inheritance from God as soon as we make the decision to follow Jesus. Paul said to the Ephesians, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So receiving the Holy Spirit, the, the very power and presence and person of God inside of us is part of our inheritance. But this Spirit is also the deposit that guarantees that we will receive the full balance of our inheritance in our future life after death. And of course, the Holy Spirit does even more than this. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and truth, gives us a peace that is able to overcome our fear. Jesus says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. This inheritance includes a transforming life. Our inheritance that we have in Christ includes a life that is being transformed so that we are made to become more and more like Jesus. This transformation is characterized by what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All of this and even more is part of this inheritance that we have in Christ. It is what God has promised. And it is what God has provided. He provided it by becoming one of us in the person of Jesus. He provided it by dying in our place for our sins. See, our sin and brokenness has disqualified us from receiving any share of God's inheritance. But Jesus came in order to take all of our disqualifications on himself so that he could carry them to the cross. And in exchange for all of our disqualifications, he gave us status as fully qualified heirs. He was rejected so that we can be accepted. So how do we receive this inheritance? It begins with a pledge in love and loyalty to Jesus. To become a citizen of the kingdom of God, in order to be adopted into the family of God, it just begins with a decision to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that means acknowledging that we are broken, sinful people who are in need of rescue and redemption. Believing that Jesus is all that he says that he is, the Son of God who became one of us. 
and then committing to following him as our true rescue, our king. Acknowledging our brokenness, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, and then committing to following him. That's where it begins. You do that, and you qualify for this amazing inheritance from God. But my friends, that is only the beginning. See, many of the Israelites did not fully experience all that God had for them because they did not continue to then live in faith. They expected it to be easy, even though God never promised them that. And when it started to get hard, they wanted to quit, even though God had promised to give them what they needed in order to live successfully and well. And it works the same way for us. Life in this world is never going to be easy. Every one of us is going to face different challenges and difficulties. And that is because we live in a world that, while profoundly beautiful, is also deeply broken. But when we live by faith, trusting and acting on the conviction that God is with us and that he is going to give us all that we need, then we get to enjoy all that is part of God's inheritance for us now. Abundant life. A life that's being transformed. Lives that are characterized by love, by joy, by peace, by by peace that is able to overcome our every fear. Wisdom, knowledge, self-control. See, this is the life-changing inheritance that we have been offered in Christ. And so let's make sure that we are doing everything that we can in order to enjoy it now. All the while knowing that in the future when Christ returns, it's only going to get even better. Let me pray. Father, we bow before you because you are the creator and sustainer of all things. And we thank you and praise you for the inheritance that you offer us through Jesus Christ. This chance to be part of a great people whom you have rescued and redeemed for yourself. Jesus, we thank you for being our true rescuer king. For your willingness to become one of us so that you could die for us. So that we could become co-heirs with you in the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, please do your good work in us transforming both our minds and our hearts so that we will become more and more like Jesus in our methods, in our values, in our priorities. Remind us that you will never leave us nor forsake us so that we can live more consistently by faith and therefore better enjoy the riches of this inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.